Amen, everybody. Let's give God one more hand praise this morning. How many glad to be in the house? Stand to your feet if you would. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet quickly. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And I just want us to read a few verses here as we get started this morning. Matthew chapter 27, and for the sake of our time, I'm going to go ahead and get started. We got a lot of stuff going on today. Amen. Y'all know that today is the first day of our fast. Come on, somebody need to say amen. If you hadn't been here 21 days, boy, I got no amens, but 21 days. Amen. The day we start, this is the time and the season as we go into Lent and looking forward to seeing what God does. Listen, I told you last week, now is the time to start seeking God in prayer like you've never done before. So when you fast, remember, fast is not always with food. You can fast from many different things. It doesn't always have to be food. Some of us, you need to fast from social media. Some of us, you need to fast from your cell phone. Some of us, we need to fast from some of those places that we're going that we don't need to be going. But when you fast, now is the time to seek after God like now more than ever before. So we start that today, 21 days. It'll be a little bit after Easter, but we're looking to see God do some powerful things. Second thing is, um, you know, we have the, the ordination of two individuals here today who are going to be ordained as deacons. Amen. Can we give them God a hand praise for them? So immediately after we finish the work this morning, we're going to move into that and then the Lord's table. So I want to try to keep us on track. Matthew chapter 27. I just want to read a few verses, uh, beginning at verse 32 through 37, Matthew chapter 27. And it says, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming into a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to come in, lead, guide, direct, open our eyes to the truth that is in your word. May we walk out a little different, Lord God, than the way that we walked in. May anyone that is here that does not know you as Lord and Savior be so convicted by the power of your truth that we all look to you for our salvation. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor before you take a seat. Just give him a hang check and a hug. Just say good morning to him. Give him a little love if you're visiting here with us. Good morning. Good morning. What's up, baby? <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Amen. So if if you are visiting here with us, If you are visiting here with us for the first time, 
Let me be one of the first to say welcome. We're so glad to have you here. It is my prayer that as you walked in that someone here from the body has welcomed you and made you feel special here this morning. How many of you know that it doesn't matter what church to go to, when you get with believers, you feel like, you should feel like you're a part of the body. Amen. So, you know, we know we have some people here that are visiting and so forth, but so we just welcome you here. and We just pray that you are blessed by the service and what God is doing here at Open Door. Now, this morning, we are starting a series that is going to take us up through Easter Sunday entitled Murder at Golgotha. Murder at Golgotha. Now, if you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you have probably heard of the word Golgotha. You just read it is the place where they crucified Jesus Christ, where they took him on the cross. Every year for Easter, what is generally done is we celebrate and talk about the passion of Christ. We talk about the passion or his suffering that he went through. Every year, churches all across America, and we normally do it as well, we come together and we talk about all the things that happened to Jesus. We talk about how he was crucified on the cross and how he was beaten and how he was, amen, praise God. <laughs> how he was beaten with many stripes, and we talk about how Jesus was, was ridiculed and mocked, and we talked about how they, they put the spear in his side and all of the suffering and all the things that Jesus Christ went through. You don't have to be saved to know about what happened to Jesus Christ. Amen? Everybody in here has probably seen the passion of Jesus Christ, and you saw how he was crucified and beat all night long, but that's not the purpose of the series that we're doing right now. We're not here to talk about the murder of Jesus Christ in terms of the suffering that he went through. I came to talk about why it happened in the first place. What caused Jesus to die? Why was Jesus murdered in the first place? What did he do that merited them to kill him in the way that they killed him? Who decided that Jesus Christ needed to die? And ultimately, who is responsible for his murder? Now, some of you may be looking at me and you may be saying, well, Pastor, I don't understand why that's important because we know Jesus died and he rose again. And now he's in heaven sitting on the right hand of the father. Why do we need to know about that? And the reason why you need to know about it is because there's something called justice that needs to be administered to every low-down criminal that caused the murder of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everybody who is responsible for his murder and for his death will one day give an account for what they have done. Jesus Christ died in cold blood in the most horrific death that has ever been issued to any man since the history of all time. And those who are responsible must face justice. Because under the Hebrew law, you must understand that murder was illegal. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. It was one of the Ten Commandments. You could only murder under Hebrew law for very specific circumstances. You just couldn't go kill anybody. And in fact, the Bible says if you committed an unjust law, whoever did that had to give up his own life in accord for that. 
The Bible says in Genesis chapter 9, and if you don't have an outline, I, I asked one of the ushers to get those for you because a lot of what we're going to talk about, we're going to be jumping and moving, but I put all of these scriptures in context in the sheet that you can go back and check them. In Genesis chapter 9, God says that everybody who committed an unjust murder, his life was required. Genesis 9 and 6 says, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God, he made man. So anybody who is made as a human is made in the image of God. And whenever you kill an unjust murder, you yourself are required to die. So what that means is every person who has anything to do with the death and the murder of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will one day stand before a holy and just God who, is the, who the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So anybody who has anything to do with the murder of Jesus Christ will one day, God, y'all can turn me down in a little bit because my voice is already loud. Anybody who has anything to do with the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will one day have to stand before him and give an account of what they have done. Amen. So the purpose of this message is you and I are basically going to be prosecutors. And we're going to indict every low-down, nasty, dirty, filthy, wrong criminal who had anything to do with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And might I tell you, before you start throwing accusations, you might want to wait until the very end. Because how many of you know it's very easy to point the finger at everybody else, but when sometimes the finger is pointed right back at you. So I know some of you already think you have the answers to the questions that I'm asking, but I ask that you reserve judgment until you hear all the facts. Amen. So the question becomes in, who murdered Jesus Christ? Who murdered him? And the best way to answer these questions is ultimately determined by examining the trial and the conviction that ultimately led to the murder of Jesus. For there could be no cross without a trial. There could be no suffering without a conviction. And there could be no resurrection without a death. Now, whenever you are investigating something and you're trying to indict someone and trying to determine who Christ, who murdered him, and the best way to answer these questions is ultimately determined by examining the trial and the conviction that ultimately led to the murder of Jesus. For there could be no cross without a trial. There could be no suffering without a conviction. And there could be no resurrection without a death. Now, whenever you are investigating something and you're trying to indict someone and trying to determine who committed something, one of the first things that you look for is motive. What was the motive behind Jesus Christ dying? Why or who wanted him to die in the first place? Why? Who had something so bent against Jesus Christ that started all of his death and wanted to kill him in the first place? So we're going to look at that quickly. What was the motive behind Jesus Christ's death? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Listen, and if you got a Bible, just keep it open and just trail along with me because I want to ask that you turn some pages here quickly. We're looking at what was the motive or why did they want Jesus dead in the first place? Who wanted to murder him? When you look there in Matthew chapter 3, and I'm just going to ask that you turn along with me. I just want to put this out. Matthew chapter 3 and 4, we see that Jesus was baptized. 
He had been tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it indicates that Jesus started his public ministry by preaching the word. And he started in verse 17 saying, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. When you look there in verse 23, it indicates that he was teaching and he was preaching and he was healing all manner of diseases. Watch this. And in verse 25, it indicates that there followed him great multitudes. So understand what's happening. Jesus is preaching and he's teaching and he's healing. And the Bible says that great multitudes were starting to follow him. All the way through chapters 4 and 8, we see Jesus continuing to heal and to teach and to heal people of all sicknesses and diseases. And in uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 8, it says, we see that multitudes are marveling and glorifying God because of the things that Jesus Christ was doing. Do you see that? Matthew chapter 9, verse 8, it says that they started marveling and glorifying God because of the things that Jesus was doing. In chapter 9, after he healed the woman with the issue of blood, Look there in verse 26. It says that his fame went abroad throughout all the land. So Jesus is healing. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's healing people of all diseases. And now his fame, his fame of what he's doing is going throughout all the land. Verse 32 says that he healed two blinded men. And it says his fame went throughout the what? The entire country. He's healing. He's doing all of these things. His reputation is growing. Everybody's starting to follow Jesus. He's the modern-day LeBron. He's the modern-day Beyonce or whoever it is. Everybody's looking at him. Oh, my God, Jesus is so hot. Then you get to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says he went about teaching in all the cities and villages and healing every disease. How many know that you're a bad man if you can heal everything? Watch what's happening. So his reputation is building. He's healing everything. He's setting everybody free. And you might ask, why is that such a problem? Who would have a problem with a man going about healing every disease and and making everything right and turning water into wine and getting the party jumped off right? Why would somebody be upset with that? Because there were some people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were the religious leaders and rulers of that day. And the people were supposed to be following them. But the problem started occurring when somebody else started getting more attention than they were getting. The problem started occurring when people started looking towards Jesus more than they were looking towards them. I mean, I'm the pastor. People are supposed to be looking at me. Why is everybody looking at everybody else? And they started getting upset. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, that the people begin to say, that Jesus taught as one having authority and not as the scribes or the religious rulers. So the way how Jesus was teaching, the way how Jesus was healing, the way how Jesus was going through, it was starting to cause problems with the religious leaders of his day. But watch this. Everything came to a head when Jesus did the ultimate. See, they could tolerate a lot of that, but everything came to a head when Jesus did the ultimate miracle. When he raised Lazarus from the dead. If you got your Bibles, look there in John chapter 11. Why did they want to kill Jesus in the first place? Who would want to kill him? Look there in, Matthew, in John chapter 11, verse 45. If you got your Bibles, I got to move for time, but it's in your outline. John chapter 11, verse 45. 
after he had healed Lazarus. I want you to note what it says in verse 45. When he did it, it says, many people believe on him. They started believing who he was. I mean, you're a bad man. I, I know you can heal and cast some demons out. And you might can turn some water into wine. But when you make a man get up from the grave that's been in the grave for four days, uh, there's something different about that man right there. And the Bible says in verse 45, it says that many people believed on him. Watch in verse 47. It says the Pharisees came together and got concerned and said, what shall we do? Do you see that there? Oh, they seen that everybody's starting to believe in Jesus and it's coming away from them. And they said, well, what are we going to do about this Jesus? Didn't you see their motive in verse 48? And don't miss this because this is the thrust behind everything. This is why everybody wanted them to die. Verse 48, it says, then they were afraid the people would believe on him and they would lose their place or authority to rule. Do you see that there? Wait a minute now. So Jesus ain't doing nothing wrong. Wait a minute. He healing everybody, setting everybody free, turning water into wine. He, I mean, as far as, as far as the Bible teaches, Jesus was doing everything right. But their problem became they didn't want him to rule over them or over the people. Come on, somebody. So the reason, the motive was they didn't want him to rule over them. And look in verse 53. It says that they determined after that miracle that Jesus got to die. Do you see that there? They said, we cannot allow this man to rule over us or to rule over the people. So for the better of the nation, Jesus Christ must die. And so that's the motive. But then what did they do to carry out the motive? Listen, let's take it a step further. When you look in the Bible there, the Bible says that they decided that they wanted to get Jesus. Watch this. But they had a problem. See, it's hard to get to somebody who everybody likes. Uh, it's hard to get to somebody who whenever he's in public, he's healing people and setting them free. How many know that everybody like that type of person? So they had a problem. If you look there in John chapter 11, verse 57, they wanted to get him. And they sent out word that we want to get him. But the problem we got is we can't get to him because we got to fear the people. If we try to take him, they're going to get us. Watch this. So they sent out word that they were trying to get Jesus, but they didn't know where he was going to be or how to get him. Watch this. So the Bible says that somebody heard word of what they was trying to do. His name was Judas. Y'all know who Judas is? Okay? It's in your outline. If you don't, you can go back and read it later. I'm just paraphrasing for the, for the sake of time. But the Bible says they couldn't get Jesus during the day because he was too popular. So what they did is they found a way to get to him in the back way. They went to one of his disciples named Judas. And Judas said, I'll give him to you what you're going to give me. And the Bible says that he made a deal with them. And when they gave him 30 pieces of silver for money, I'm going to talk about this in just a little minute. They gave him some money in order to get Jesus, and Judas then gave him their location. And when you read in the Bible, in the text there, in uh, 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 Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, 
The Bible says that Judas gave them the location of where Jesus was going to be, and that's when the mob came to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Anybody remember that? The Bible says that Jesus was praying at night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the mob came to get him. That's when Peter cut off the person in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? See, they didn't know where he was going to be, but they found out where he was going to be through his disciple, Jesus Christ. Watch this. So they came and they got Jesus and they took him by cover of night. Listen, and when they came and took him, they brought him before the Sanhedrin. Now, let me explain what this is. The Sanhedrin is what is equivalent to the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. It's, it's what we would call our Supreme Court, but it's the Supreme Court of the Jewish people. It was the highest court in the land. It was the court that you appealed to whenever there was a problem. The highest court in the land. It was a court made up of 71 members. It was based off of the council that was ordained by Moses in Numbers 11, verse 16. People say, where is this coming from? They got it from the ordained council that God gave to Moses in order to rule over the people, where he ordained 70 elders to rule over the people, and Moses was a deciding vote, number 71. Well, the Jewish Sanhedrin was a council of 71 people as well, made up of 26 chief priests. It was made up of 46 elders of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes, and then the chief priest was a deciding vote at number 71. Now, watch this. This council was to represent justice in Israel. This council was supposed to be independent, impartial, and was supposed to execute judgment on behalf of God. Watch this. But because they had already made the decision that Jesus Christ had to die, because they had already made the decision that they didn't want Jesus Christ to rule over them, they actually broke most of their laws in order to convict a man that won guilty in the first place. Can I share something with you? Listen, see, most of the time when you watch the movie The Passion and you see Jesus Christ on there, you see the things that are happening, but you may not know the stuff behind the scenes of why it's happening. In other words, when they killed Jesus and everything the way how they were doing it, they were breaking their own laws in order to get him. Let me give you a couple examples. For example, uh, uh, back during Jesus' day, there is a book called The Mishnah. The Mishnah, you can, you can Google this. It was a book called the Mishnah, and what it was, it was a book of all the oral traditions that had been passed down by century by century by century. So in other words, the Jewish leaders, it's, it, it was like their commentary. They would read the Old Testament, and then they would come up with all these additional commentary and rules of how you completed it. And they passed it down from generation to generation to generation of how you kept and honored God by keeping the law. In this book called the Mishnah, it was all of their rules of how they executed judgment. And can I tell you a couple things of how hate will drive you to do stuff that you shouldn't have no business doing. Watch this. Watch this. Because according to the Mishnah, according to the Mishnah, the trial of anything that came before the Sanhedrin was supposed to be impartial. In other words, it's like the Supreme Court. You may have an opinion, but the court is not supposed to be leading one way or the other when you bring it before them. But we've already looked at the Bible says that they had all, it, was the, it was the Supreme Court that had already decided that he needed to die. Watch this. It wasn't someone coming bringing a prosecution that Jesus needed to die. It was the very court that had already decided he needed to die. 
Watch this. The second law was no trial was to take place at night. Did you know that? According to the Hebrew law, there was not supposed to be any trial that took place at night. How many of you know when Jesus, when that trial took place with him? Anybody? Now when you're watching the Passion, have you ever seen it? According to Mark 14, 53, it says that they took Jesus at night. Pay attention to the details because they were breaking their own laws to get him. All trials, number three, all trials were to be in public. How many know that we don't even try somebody, you know, in a way that's not public? You take them down to the courthouse, right? Unless it's some type of closed session. Listen, all trials were to be held in public, but in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, it says that Jesus was taken to the high priest's home. Come on, somebody. Anybody read your Bible? They took Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, and they condemned him and beat him under secret cover in the night. In fact, when you read your Bible in, in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 66, it says as soon as it was day, they went ahead and tried to convict him again for the same crime. Listen, number four, it says an accused person could not testify against himself. Watch this. Under Jewish law, the person who was condemned could not, you couldn't use his own testimony against himself. But when you look at Luke chapter 22, 67 through 70, it indicates that Jesus was condemned based on his own words. Do you remember? The high priest kept asking him questions, and then when Jesus responded, he said, what need do we have for anything else? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Number five, the Bible says that someone was required by law to speak on behalf of the accused. In other words, Jesus was supposed to have defense counsel, but he had none. Number six, according to the Jewish law, Conviction of a capital crime required at least two or three witnesses. And the witnesses' testimony had to agree precisely. But how many know that they tried to get some witnesses against Jesus, and even when they got the witnesses, the witnesses still didn't agree? Anybody know what I'm talking about? They got Jesus. They went and got false witnesses. Watch this. Under their own law, that case should have been thrown out. And in fact, if you go back and look at the scripture that I gave you in your outline, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 20, that the false witnesses were supposed to take or, or the, 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 uh, the false witnesses were supposed to receive the punishment that they were trying to give the other person. Watch this. But even though the false witnesses were against Jesus Christ, the Bible says that they still continued on with this prosecution, breaking their own law. Watch this. Number seven. According to the Mishnah, the high priest was to be impartial and not participate in the questioning of a witness. Watch this. The high priest was not supposed to participate in the questioning of a witness. But how many know that it was Caiaphas, the high priest, that was doing all of the questioning of Jesus? Come on, somebody. Listen, they were so angry. They wanted him so bad that they were breaking every one of their laws to do it. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus finally spoke up by himself, you remember where it says that Caiaphas, when, when Jesus said, you're going to see me sitting on the right hand of God. And it said that Caiaphas got upset and he tore his robe. Anybody remember that? Even in that, he broke his own law because the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 22, 21, verse 10, that it was against the Hebrew law for the high priest to tear his robe. So he broke the law again, trying to convict someone who hadn't broke the law. They were breaking the law to try to convict somebody who hadn't broken the law. 
Watch this. I'm going to give you one more because, see, sometimes you read this stuff and you see it, but you don't understand what's going on behind the scene. They were breaking every law trying to convict a man who had done nothing wrong. Watch this. The verdict, watch this, the Mishnah required that verdicts in capital cases could only be handed down during the day. Watch this. In a capital case, you could only hand down that verdict during the day. When did they hand out and make the decision on Jesus? Watch this. Did you ever read in Luke chapter 22 or in, in different gospels, it's a little different, that even though they had convicted him, it says early the next morning they brought him back in and it looks like they asked him the same questions over again. In fact, if you go back and read the account later in Luke chapter 22, verse 66 to 71, they bring Jesus back in. It says early the next morning, they brought him back before the council and they asked Jesus essentially the same question. And when Jesus said, y'all already asked me, I'm paraphrasing, you already asked me this question. I've already told you my answer. And no matter what I do, you're not going to let me go regardless. And then the high priest did it again, tore his robe and said, you're guilty. We don't need anything else. Do you know why they did that? Because somebody must have told them by their own law, you can't condemn a man to death in the cover of night. So they had to do it again the next morning in a public place. Watch this. So their own hatred caused them to convict a man who had done nothing wrong. And by the very law that they were trying to condemn him on, they condemned themselves. Watch this. They did all of this, but they still had a problem. They came up with all of this stuff. They broke all of their laws to condemn this man to death, but they had one problem. Watch this. The Jewish people couldn't commit a capital. Uh, um, um, they, couldn't con uh, they couldn't do capital crime or capital punishment upon any person. In other words, under Roman law, you have to understand during this time, the Jews were under Roman law. And so Rome wouldn't allow Jews to put someone to death except for very specific reasons. In other words, you basically had to walk into the temple, a holy place, and they would allow you to kill them. But you couldn't put a person to death for like a civil case. You couldn't put a person to death for them just breaking a blasphemy law or anything like that. So what they ended up having to do, they ended up having to take the person to Rome because they couldn't kill them. They wanted him dead, but they couldn't put him to death themselves. The Bible says in John 18, 31, it says, Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Watch this. So the Jews ended up having to take him to Rome, not because they wanted to take him to Rome, but because they wanted him dead, but they couldn't put Jesus Christ to death themselves. And that's how Rome came in the picture. People wanted to get to him, but they couldn't, so they had to take him to Rome. Watch this. So the Jews ended up having to come up with a trumped-up crime because Rome wouldn't execute a person unless they had a very good reason. They didn't care about the Jews' God. They didn't care about blasphemy. You had to come up with something that would exercise or cause Rome to take action. And so what the Jews did when they took him to Pilate, they had to come up with something that would make Pilate move. And we're going to talk about that next week. Amen. How Rome got involved. If you want to hear it, you got to come back next week. But let me close with this. There are two indictments that we need to issue today. Number one, the first indictment goes to Judas Iscariot. 
Judas Iscariot was one who caused the death of Jesus Christ. He didn't murder him himself, but the Bible says that he was guilty because he led him to the chief high priest. Watch this. Here's the question. I'm trying to bring it home. Here's the question. Why did Judas lead them to Christ? What motivated him to sell his soul to the Romans and to the Jewish leaders to turn on his friends? Watch this. You don't have to guess. The Bible tells you. In, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 15, it says, And they said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. And so from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So in other words, Judas sold his soul. He sold everything that he had for money. He gave up everything to the Lord and Jesus Christ for temporary gain. Can I ask you a question for you today? Because how many know it's so easy to point the finger at Judas? But can I ask you a question? How many of you today are choosing things that can only bring temporary satisfaction? Come on, somebody. Uh, 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 yours may not be money. How many of us are choosing something over God rather than serving him? See, let me give you a scripture here. The Bible in Matthew 20, 16, verse 26 says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own? Watch this. See, some of us are choosing other things over God, just like Judas. Um, some of you are here, and yours ain't money, it's alcohol. Come on, somebody. Some of you are here today, and Yours ain't money. Yours is your friend. Some of us are here today and, you know, maybe, maybe you are choosing everything else, but the God says, what can you give in exchange for your soul? You know, you can work really hard. You can work all the hours. You can achieve all the worldly success, but none of that will matter when the time comes to where you come meet the Lord. If your heart is not right, Notice what he says. What can a man give in exchange for his own soul? Verse 27, for the son of man will come in the glory of his father with the angels. And then he will reward every man according to his works. Watch this. Judas gave up everything for temporary satisfaction again. Listen, and if you know the story of Judas, everything that he gave it up for, for that little bit of money, he didn't even get the opportunity to use it. Because the Bible says not much longer after Judas betrayed him, he went and he hung himself. Right? Some of us are working so hard. You're giving up everything for Christ. You're pursuing everything that you want that will only give you something temporary. And in the end, it's not worth the cost of your soul. Number two, the second indictment goes against the Jewish leaders for they are responsible for his death. Here's the question. Why did they crucify Jesus Christ and condemn him to death? Speaking of the Jewish leaders, because they did not want Jesus to rule over them. Here's the question for you. Is that you here today? See, some of you think you're so much different. We think that we're so much different than these people. But here's the question. Are you rejecting Jesus and putting Jesus away from your life because you don't want him to rule over you either? See, Jesus is okay as long as he is allowing me to do what it is that I want to do. 
See, the, the Jewish leaders didn't have a problem with him healing them as long as he didn't take their authority, as long as he didn't try to rule over them. And here's the question for you and I. Have you allowed Jesus Christ to rule over every area of your own life? The Bible says, and I know I got to close, the Bible says that in the end, and this is for that person that's listening to me who just refused to let Jesus Christ be Lord. I, I can't let nobody tell me what to do. I want to listen to whatever music I want to listen to. I want to date whoever it is I want to date. I want to drink my hen. I, I, I want to drink my yak. Come on, somebody. I want to spread my royal oats. I want to stay out as long as I want to stay out. I don't need nobody to tell me what to do. But here's the thing. The Bible says that one way or another, you're going to bow. You're going to bow voluntarily or involuntarily. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and on those under the earth. That incorporates everybody, angelic beings, those living, and those who have died. One day or another, you going to bow. Is this a question is, are you going to do it voluntarily, or are you going to do it involuntarily? You may say, you know what? I'm Lord over my marriage. No, you're not, because God instituted marriage. And he says, one way or another, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Number three, watch this. Number three, one of the things we can learn is you can know the word of God and still miss Christ. Think about this. The Jewish leaders were the Jewish, the law experts. They knew the law. The law was given to the Jews. They were experts in the law. They had studied it all their life. They knew what it says. They had all the rules. They were Jews. They knew everything. They had the commandments. They had the relationship with God. But yet Jesus Christ was standing right in front of them, and they still didn't even know who he was. Wait a minute now. Because, see, see, I know when we start talking about people like the Jews and, and these Jewish leaders and Judas, see, everybody sits back, and you can't see yourself in them. But see, the history was just to kind of bring it full circle. I mean, you know, my mama used to tell me you can learn from an ant if you watch them. Here was the thing. The Jewish people were experts in the law, but they didn't recognize Jesus Christ right before their face. And some of us consider yourselves experts. You come to church every Sunday. You know the law. You know the song. You know the scriptures. And you still don't know the one that's standing right in front of your face. What a shame it is to have truth right in front of you and you still miss it. What is a shame for God to offer his very self to you and you missed it. Lastly, all the Jews and Judas and everybody else as I'm going to lay out, 
who unjustly rejected and condemned Christ will pay a severe price. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29 says this. Do we have that on the screen? Read this with me. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted? Do you know what that's saying? How much worse do you think for those who have been hearing the word of God all your life? You've heard about Jesus Christ, but yet you come to church and you play this thing like a game over and over and over again. Listen, he says, do you think you can trample on the foot the son of God and there not be a punishment for that? Verse 30 says, for we know him who said vengeance is mine. I will repay the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Let me say this as we close our heads in prayer. That scripture that you just read, it wasn't just for no Jewish priests. It wasn't just for Judas. But it's for everyone who hears the word of God and refuses to bow their knee. There's one thing that I've learned about church folk. And I don't know who's in the room, but many of us are experts at looking holy. Oh, man, we experts at that. But we put on the makeup. We come in, we even shout during the songs. But deep inside, we know that our hearts aren't right. I want to encourage you right now as we sit before God. I'm not appealing to your emotions. I really want you to think about this. We all know that Jesus Christ went through tremendous suffering during this season. And the point of this series is really to point out why did he do that? He didn't have to do it. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus is Lord, as a representative of his, I want to assure you that he loves you. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Listen to my voice. This may be one of the most important decisions you ever make in your entire life. God loved you so much that he sent his own son to die for you. Listen, he's not interested in a game. He's not interested in a show. He's not interested in your words of you just claiming a whole bunch of stuff. But when you walk out of here, you don't really care nothing about Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Stop talking about how much you love me. And you know when you leave here. You know. Here's the question for you. What Judas did is done. What those high priests did 
is done. They can't change anything. But while you are still breathing, you have the opportunity to make sure everything that you have done has gotten right with the master. Truth be told, and we're going to see this in a future message, everybody contributed to the death of Jesus Christ. Watch this. And the truth of the matter is, all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and have to give an account for that. Nothing that you or I do is going to satisfy a holy God. <laughs> and the gospel message is, that's why he came. It's because there's nothing that we can do. Hear my voice. Some of you are in church. You may not have been in church for a long time. I'm here to speak to you directly. Let me just assure you this. Don't let all these religious folk people in here fool you. God already knows everything that you've done. He already know everything that you're doing. Listen, and nobody in here is in a position to put themselves over you. <laughs> you know, because at the end of the day, what I found is, is that everybody in here is struggling with something. Oh, yours may not be alcohol, but you got a bad attitude. Yours may not be a bad attitude, but you gamble or you, 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 you do something else. You got a foul mouth. Everybody in here struggling with something. So don't judge yourself by what everybody else is doing. There's one thing I can guarantee you, all heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know who I'm speaking with. You will die. It's inevitable. All of us are going to die. Question is, when that time comes, are you ready? I believe God sent you here to make sure. See, I say this all the time. God knows that later this afternoon, somebody's going home with him. Listen, and because he loves you so much, he's saying, come to me, please. Please, you don't understand what's coming, but I do. Come to me. Come to me. I know what it is that you've done, but I forgive you. Come to me. He says in 1 John, he says that if you will confess your sins, that's all I'm asking you to do. If you confess, I am faithful and I am just and I will forgive you all of your sins. Not some, he says, all your sins and I'll cleanse you. There is nothing that you can give in place of that. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let me just ask quickly. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Is there anyone here right now who says, Pastor, if today is the day that I die, I don't know if I would go home to be with the Lord. Listen, if you are a spouse, whoever you are, please just focus and get before God because this ain't not about you. If that's you, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Is there anyone here where you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Let me tell you in advance. I'm not asking you to come down. You don't have to worry about that. I know sometimes in churches people try to put you on the spot. They want you to come down and tell all your business. I don't care about your business because I got my own business. I don't need you to confess to me. I'm saying confess to him what it is that you've done. Is there anyone here who says, Pastor, I really don't know. Listen, I can tell you, in your heart, you should know with confidence. If today is the day that you die, that you know where you're going, it's a simple question. 
I don't care what church you go to, who your pastor is, none of that matters. We all want to report to the same shepherd. If you're here today, heads bowed, our eyes closed, is there anyone? Say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Signify your hand. I see you back there. Raise your hand. Listen, you're not raising it to me. I want you to raise it to him. What you're doing is, is declaring that, Jesus, on this day, I'm choosing that I need you. Is there anyone else? Who will stand and say, Jesus, that's me. I'm calling. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Anyone else? Anyone else?